RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. Welcome to RPG Lessons Learned, where we talk about our past sessions so that you can learn from our mistakes. I'm Dusty, and with me this week, as always, is Brian. Hey, Dusty. Brian, how's it going, man? Uh, not bad. I'm drinking a wonderful cherry soda. It's uh, delicious. Nice. The Jolly Rancher soda. Yes, it is. No no, uh, no advertising from us. And then also Mike. Hi, Dusty. Hey, Mike. Good to have you, as always. Thank you. So today, we're talking about a level 20 game that we ran quite some time ago, uh, quite a while ago. We were tired of hoping to someday make it to level 20. That I remember we were running some one-shots, and we were like, you know what? Forget it. Let's just run a level 20 game. And we ran this game as if it were the last game of, of, of a, of what, 144-session campaign? Yeah. So I won't get into the premise too much, because you guys didn't know the premise right away. But I had you roll up level 20 characters. I gave you a, a budget for magic items. And you showed up to the session with uh, no expectations, really, just... just Ready to be surprised. I don't think we actually knew the premise until about an no, hour yeah. into the game. By, by, yeah. by my design. Yeah. By yeah. my design. So, before we get into the into the show notes today, is there anything you guys just want to get off your chests about this session or, or, or this game? I think the game was really fun. Um, I know we, we, we had a chance to listen back to it since this is one of the games we recorded. And, and I think in that recording, you can tell we have a really good time with this. I think the other thing I wanted to mention is I think this is probably the the most we have prepared and studied our characters for pretty much any game, except for maybe the uh, the PvP game we did. Uh, but one thing that struck me, uh, especially when re-listening to it, was how how married everyone was to their character and how invested everyone was in their character. Oh, that's true. I didn't think about that. Brian, how about you? What do you, what do you want to say about the about the session? Yeah, so I'll say, so Mike mentioned that we recorded it. So just spoilers. I mean, we 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 probably will talk about that a little bit. Uh, normally, we don't always record our games or go back to them, but this is one where I just happened to say, "Hey, we're going to do this show. I have this file that we recorded. Let's listen to it." I'll say we had a lot of fun, just like Mike said, but otherwise, it left no impact whatsoever. Because I did not remember the game at all yeah. until I listened to it. But yeah. it, everything came back listening. But for whatever reason, I guess, because other one shots, though, have left some sort of impression. But this one didn't leave an impression. Can I tease you, Brian? Yes. If, if listeners ever start an RPG Lessons Learned drinking game, yes. one of them will be take a shot when Brian doesn't remember something. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly. It's no, you're right. No, I I will totally own that. No, I, I hear you. Um, And what I'll... What I want to get off my chest about this game, and we'll talk about this more when we, when we talk about the recording, is I walked out of this session carrying some negative feedback. And I guess over time, it's been like, what, a year and a half since we played this game? It's been a long time. It, yeah. Nathan was in the game, so it, it wasn't that long ago. It but. predates the show, though. Yes, it, it does. It predates yeah. the show by a lot. So we were not yet recording the show. It was Nathan's first game, I think, wasn't it? No, uh, no. It was this was immediately after the L five R. L five R was Nathan's very L five R. Yes, you're yep. right. Yep. This was immediately after that where we were like, forget it, let's go ahead and run level twenty in D anD. d Anyway, it was a long time ago, and over time, my memory had colored this session with the negative feedback that you guys were were, were kind enough to give me so that I could grow. 
that negative feedback grew and grew and grew and grew. And I remembered this session as being terrible, like everything about it being bad. So when we said we were going to record a show about that session, I was ready to rip myself a new one. And then Brian came through and emailed us all to say, hey, if we're going to talk about the show, well, as a reminder, here's the recording of it. And that way we could all listen and refresh our memories. My goodness, we had a great time. We did. Absolutely. In my memory, it was awful. But as I listened to it, we laughed and had a great time the entire session. I had a blast. Oh, yeah. I, I think it was also uh, important to call out that this was, this was a one shot that lasted only two and a half hours. Usually our one shots almost go three, sometimes three and a half hours. So I think uh, I think we were we were engaged. We had a good time. Everybody, you know, just worked through it, and, and it was fun. I think it shows maybe, I don't want to uh, go too far into the mechanics, but maybe that CR is broken, especially at high-level play. Yeah, we keep saying that. Yeah. I, having listened to it, I think I'm okay with what happened, and we'll talk about yeah. that. Yeah. So let's jump into the show notes, right? So I started the session off in, in Medias Race, so in, in, in the middle of things. I, I, I was trying to start us up like... Uh, an opening to a movie where this this well-established team of heroes is chasing down some bad guys amidst a crowd in the middle of a village um, or town or whatever. Um, and I wanted to I talked a lot about you know what you see and where the camera's going and and I I use the phrase opening credits quite a bit and for once <laughs> is there an opposite to metagaming? so. For once, the characters knew more than the players. I was narrating to you guys sort of what was going on. And in my mind, your your characters... Okay, so this is a complex thought I'm trying to communicate here. When I DM, you guys are my audience, right? So my job is to surprise and entertain you. We were starting this level 20 session acting as if it was the end of this long campaign to give us that kind of, to simulate that emotional experience of of finishing a campaign. But I wanted to surprise and delight you guys. And so to surprise you, obviously at the end of the campaign, the characters know what's up, but you guys, the players, I'm trying to do like a, like like a great movie where you just start off kind of in the middle and you figure it out from context clues very quickly and, and pick up and get going. And that's what I was shooting for. But I just think it's, it's humorous that for once the characters knew more than the players. W- w- was it fun to discover what was happening? Was it fun to discover what you were doing? Because the opening scene was you guys chasing down some demons and, and, and defeating those demons. And they were relatively low CR. It was an easy fight. I knew it was going to be easy. You didn't know what was up. You figured it out. Was this really fun and surprising and delightful? Or was it frustrating and annoying to not know what you were doing? Let me. So I want to chime in here. So... I think, in a way, it removes some of the player agency in going in this route because this is the end of a long campaign. Our char- This is the 144th game that our players had supposedly played where we are kind of, in a way, locked in to the campaign more so or the game more so than we would be otherwise. We have to sort of go along with the way that it's playing out. More so where we have in, in, a, in a game that we've actually established our characters in a game where we have our personalities in a game where we have our, our, our play style where, game where we have our strategy that we tie to something. We have more control over what actually happens. The cinematic feel of this to me felt constricted. I would agree with that. You know, when you were saying that, it just made me think, you know, 
what great coincidence was it that you had rolled up your 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 paladin to be this ultra religious zealot i mean you came prepared with with bible quotes ready for your paladin thing tons of them and and we just happen to fall into the scenario where we're fighting devils and, and demon hunters and and we we didn't know that right so I definitely agree with you that that it gave us some restrictions. It took away some agency, but I think I think we did a good job, you know, circumventing that by by supplementing it with characters. But for the first hour, that that part of it, there was basically no RPing. It was all mechanical. Well, there were just there were a lot of character introductions and descriptions, and what do we see and what do we do? Right. Uh, but you're right. There was no role play as far as interaction. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. The the other thing I'll say is if it if it if it wasn't that that in medias res if it wasn't that set up the only other option I think you could have taken was just to sit there for like forty five minutes and bang out all this exposition and that would have been just brutal. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think I think it could have been a minimal. Hey, you have been playing this campaign for one hundred and forty three games. This is the one hundred forty fourth game. You are atta- you're facing off against. Uh, the last three or the last of the demons go. So for for those in the for those who didn't play the game, obviously everyone listening, here's what I could have said because this, this was the actual setup for the session that I was keeping secret, and so you guys kind of figured it out after the first scene, and then after the first scene I, I gave it to you. But here's what I could have said at the beginning of the session, Brian. This, this is what you're saying. I could have said, "All right, guys, 144 demons escaped from a kingdom of hell." And early on, they attacked your home village. And you guys have been chasing these things down, leveling up. And you've been one by one defeating these 144 demons, sending them back to hell. Well, today, you're at level 20, and you're chasing down the last three demons on your on your list of 144. And then, boom, I'm done talking. You have the premise, and we go from there. You're saying I could have done that? Yeah, but, I mean, obviously, what happened was fun because we had a blast playing. No, but you can always improve. Yeah, exactly. I think that if we were to do this again, I would rather start off something like that instead of the um, cinematic sort of So give you a sentence, give give you just a couple sentences to set it up and then turn you loose. Yeah, because, I like, when I was trying to introduce my character... I mean, a good character and a good story has to have some sort of framework around it. Like, you wouldn't want to have, like, a good story would be of of mice and men. and But a good character would be, like... Wolverine. Uh, yeah, Wolverine. <laughs> you wouldn't want to have Wolverine in Of Mice and Men. Uh, I don't know. That could be kind of awesome. Eighth grade me that had to read Of Mice and Men would have been delighted by the inclusion of Wolverine. But having said that, Brian, your point's well taken. Yes, absolutely. Because you, you can't have a good character without knowing the kind of story yeah. that character needs to fit in and occupy. Wolverine. It's <laughs> <laughs> not where I was going with that. was so, so much better. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. So, and, and by the way, that was the huge negative feedback that I walked out of the session with. Because I ended up and I said, okay, all right, guys, give me feedback. And Brian... Boom, you jumped right in on, hey, I didn't like the opening. I didn't like not knowing what was going on. That was frustrating. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was it was a challenge uh, and not a challenge that was like, oh, I felt better about it once I you know got through it. I just felt that, you know, we're I mean, we're learning this as we go. It's, oh, yeah. It's, it's not like it's not like you purposefully said, well, let's do this. And I don't think the other guys had as big of a difficulty with it as I did. 
Um, but I, I mean, I had quite a bit of difficulty with so it. So I really well, struggled with. Sorry, Mike, you go ahead. I was going to say, I think the difference there is that the rest of us were 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 relying on tropes, right? And and you were trying to genuinely role play a character you had just created and not gotten to use before. So I think think what I, Chris, and Nathan were doing were just going with tropes we had in mind while creating our characters, knowing we'd be these badass superhero type characters. And you were trying to be a genuine paladin, and I think that's where that, that's where I was challenging I, for I, I you. Think, I think there's a lot of truth in that statement. Interesting. So what I struggle with, and the reason I did the cinematic opening with no explanation to my to my players, even though the characters knew what was up, is back to I wanted to surprise you guys. And it comes down to, when I'm the GM, who's my audience? It's the players. So I really felt like giving you a sentence and letting you in, it would have been like making you co-producers in something that I wanted you to be entertained by. Having said that, I was wrong. I'm giving you my thought, but I'm, I'm going back and saying I, I was wrong. So for you to be able to let your character act and have thoughts and contribute to the story, you need to know, to your point, Brian, the framework of the story. So it can't just be you being totally surprised by what happens. That's that That's antithetical to the entire nature of D&D. D&D is a cooperative storytelling game where everyone needs to know at least a little bit of what's going on so we can get on the same page and tell the same story. So that's where my head was. I was wrong. It was a good lesson to learn. So lesson learned, you know, your characters should never, sorry, your players should never be more surprised than the characters. Is that fair? I think that's a very good one. I agree. All right. So cinematics, Brian, you already alluded to the cinematic stuff that you found it constrictive. Um, for those of you listening at home, what I tried to do in this session was talk about, okay, here's what the camera sees, you know, below the waist shot of, uh, of you know, looking up at this crowd, kind of camera moving through the crowd of, of revelers and a bonfire and people are celebrating and then all of a sudden the camera zooms in, Brian, on your character, what does the camera see? And and Chris did a great job of saying, oh, the camera zooms in on this, and the camera sees this, and I, and I get ready with this. And we really spent a lot of time in the session talking about, quote-unquote, the camera. So you found that restrictive? Yeah, a little bit. I think it boils down to the fact that I think it's a brilliant idea. And I think that in a storytelling uh, framework as an apparatus, it's great. But when you when it breaks down to the fact that in actual gameplay, a round takes six seconds it means that the movie would be, you know, 75 hours. It's more like a, it's more like a long epic than it than it is like a short popcorn film. And, and I think I actually sat down and did the math to figure out how long it would be based on the the timing that the movie's intro was if it were a movie was exceptionally long even even given the fact that it's yeah, so 6 seconds. Having listened to the recording, my intro took 52 minutes. Yep. And granted, there was some table talk at the beginning of us, like, you know, doing a little bit of catching up, but 52 minutes in. So what you're saying is 52 minutes. I think it would have been exceptionally short because if you, if you think about every round being six seconds and us having to go through a whole round, really, we spent 52 minutes talking about 20 seconds of real time play. Yeah. Of so real of real time action. I, I think doing, let's see here. Uh, six seconds is around. Yeah, yeah it, 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 yeah. That that combat was basically over in three rounds. Yep. But it took us fifty-two minutes to get there. 
to cover 18 seconds worth of combat. I think a lot of that time went into us trying to, to figure out our our superhero, our, our super mega to level 20 characters, right? So I know specifically in my rounds, there was a lot of me thumbing through the rule book, trying to figure out the particulars of exactly what I wanted to do. And I think every one of us in our party had an ability where we got multiple attacks per round, like not even just two. I know my character had the ability to take four attacks per round. I know Chris's and Brian's could do two. I'm pretty sure Nathan's could do at least two as well. So I think, I think a lot of that 53 minutes was just mechanics. Yeah, that's fair. But back to the cinematics, cinematics, Brian, you found it to be restrictive. Mike, to talk about the camera, what did you think? Um, I like the concept. I'm kind of with Brian a little bit. I think it was maybe a little restrictive. I think the other thing was is that you 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 put the the hands of the camera in each of the individual characters. So of course each individual character is going to want to make themselves the center focus. So I think it made it a little more self centered on on each player as we took our turn turn than it normally did. There's a great story in the DVD commentary. For the Magnificent Seven, the the old one with the good one with with Yul Brenner. yeah, the remake of the Seven Samurai because Kurosawa. Let's let's be honest, did the first one. But uh, in Magnificent Seven, there's a scene where they're just crossing a creek, and you had all these stars. Steve McQueen's a star. Yul Brenner's a star. Charles Bronson's a star. Um, Coburn. I mean, just all these stars. And to cross the stream, one guy crosses the stream and he leans down and fills his hat with water and pours it over his head and he kind of opens his shirt up a little bit. Someone else kind of shakes his hair out, and they all kind of have this grandstanding moment as they cross the stream. And the director goes, according to the story, according to the commentary, the director yelled, cut, and looked back at the cinematographer like, what the hell? <laughs> what are these? So, yeah, you're saying yeah. that you're saying that your characters do the same thing. Absolutely. When I put the camera in, her, in, in your hands, you made it about you and not about the story. Yeah, it was totally, you know, let me do a selfie. Let me show you all this cool stuff I'm doing. Let me narrate this like five minute dialogue of, of this thing I want to do just to just to make my attack. Roll. Which is boring for an audience. Which is very boring for but an audience. But back to my question, who's the audience? Then? Exactly. That's So if, if you guys are not the audience at a, at a tabletop session... And if we're all working together to make the story, then who is our audience? And, and this is why I'm so Critical conflicted. Role has an audience. We don't. We love playing. Yeah. But when we're playing, it's just us. Who is the audience? And this is why I'm conflicted on this answer, because in those narrative moments, there was lots of detail that was added that came back and gave the game fluidity. I mean, this this whole mouse concept thing that Chris, I don't know if he had that like ready in his pocket or was uh-huh, you know uh-huh. something he just pulled up. His mouse lived in his pocket. Yeah, the whole, you know, the whole the whole mouse concept of his character went through the whole game, and you know, I don't want to do too many spoilers, but basically became a god at the end of the game, and you know that I don't think that concept would have come to life without the cinematic aspect. Yeah, it's fair. So, so it had good and bad. Had good and bad. At, at moments, it was good, but maybe we stuck to it too religiously. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. I think so. So don't love your gimmicks. Don't fall in love with your gimmicks to the point that you stick with them beyond all reason. And like, if we're talking about gimmicks and wrestling, like typically, at least nowadays, a wrestling match is laid out in the beginning with everybody working together. I don't think that any of us actually even communicated with each other as we were developing our character, even if we developed our character. True, but right? in wrestling, there's an audience. In wrestling, there's an audience. For us, it's the audience or the other players at the table. Well, it depends on what you're doing. Sometimes, so you're if you work with other players, what are you working with them on? Sometimes your audience is yourself. 
Yeah. So, and if you're focusing on yourself, everybody else is just sitting there waiting until they can focus on themselves. All right, let's talk about jumping to level 20. So we jumped straight to level 20, and Mike, I know you and I played WoW, World of Warcraft, and there was a there was a long-running joke in World of Warcraft amongst the players where you would joke about characters or about people that you encountered that had clearly been power-leveled. They had clearly paid someone a power-leveling service or, 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 or a gold farm or whatever to level their character on their behalf, and you'd see this level 80 running around that had no idea what to do with their character. You'd see these level 80s in, in, in arenas that had no idea how to play their character. And that was the joke. So that's really what we did. You guys just <laughs> rolled a level 20 character. So you had been power leveled to level 20, and then you didn't really know how to play your character. But not only that, when you think about the character development, going into level 20 character, it's not just the abilities that you've thoughtfully leveled up over two years. It's also all the character development, all yep. the growth all that time inhabiting that character and living in that character's skin, all the loot that you've thoughtfully acquired and kept and incorporated into your gear. So there's all this development and thought that goes into level 20. Did we do a good job simulating what it would be like to be comfortable with level 20 after 143 sessions? Not at all, no. <laughs> um, and I think this goes right back to my uh, my trope comment from earlier. I was absolutely playing my character as a trope. So everything that would have been uh, a decision my character would make, you know, something they would feel about something or some way they would interact with someone, I was just playing a, a basic trope in my head, and it, it wasn't a developed character. I, I was kind of taking the same you know thought that we had done with the medieval Marvel game, and I was using that exact same level of thought. My character was a gimmick. Like I know Mike was very complimentary of my character, but my character was a one-note joke. I loved it. I had a blast, but I literally came in with just one joke that I carried throughout the whole thing. Kind of like in the last game that we played where... Hi, my the, name is Ted Buffson, but that was a dealership. Sorry. Yeah, we'll get we'll talk about that <laughs> at some point in the future, which is great. But yeah, it, it was a, it was a one-note joke. So basically for people out there, uh, my character was... Um, he was a paladin, which I, I think people remember that I love playing paladins. Uh, but he basically kept uh, quoting scripture, specifically from the Bible. And I basically selected the... You picked the fire... Let's just leave it at you picked the fire and brimstone quotes. The fire and yeah. brimstone quotes. Yeah. So, um, but I, you know, I had a blast doing it. I had a blast quoting it, you know. Uh, it was just... I, I got to act out... Uh, this really fire and brimstone uh, preacher style paladin that was just a blast. I'm shocked by both of your answers. So again, I, I've got to say we did not discuss this pre-show. Having listened to the recording of this of of this game, I think this was the fastest you guys have jumped into and occupied characters I've ever seen. But I, I would agree with that, but I, I don't think it's because of any development we put into the character, right? I think a lot of it was we took a lot of time to build and study these characters because we knew that running a level 20 character would be a challenge. I think this was the most prepared for a game Absolutely. that we've been in a long time. I was way more on the ball when it comes to running my character in this game than I ever am. So to me as GM and to me listening to the recording, it felt like the 144th game. Hmm. Interesting. Because, I mean, you guys nailed your character right from the beginning. I don't think... I think Brian, I, you said it was a one-note joke? You were that guy 
from the start of the recording to the end of the that's, recording. That's true. And that guy's not you. That, no. You were in that character the whole time. I, and to me, I was like, damn, this feels like level 20. I absolutely was. But I think that I there's also, I was refreshed and invigorated and energized. In a real 144 game campaign, I think I would be haggard and tired. That one note joke would have ran out after about game eight. And I'm saying eight as a very significant number yeah. that we'll get into later in a different podcast. I don't even know what you're alluding to. Oh, our, I'll just go ahead and say our, our eight sessions planned for our uh, our uh, Savage World. Oh, well, hopefully you'll stop the Tad Buffston joke. <laughs> <laughs> you hope. You hope. <laughs> All right. Challenge. Um, let's talk about how challenging this game was. So I, I put you up against a, a CR7 and a CR12 enemy. Right at the gate, because you were, you were chasing down the last three of the 144 demons. I gave you two as a, as a CR7 and as a CR12 that you guys defeated pretty handily in 52 minutes. And then I, I put you guys up against the last one, the, 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 the female devil. And was that, was that, and then, then you had yet another fight at the end with, 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 with a, a pit fiend. Which I had planned, because he was the level 20 monster that you were going to fight. Were these fights challenging? No. Not really. I mean, I remember making, well, I don't I want to say remember, when, when listening to it, we were literally making jokes of, oh, no, I lost 30 hit points out of my 200 hit point pool. Yeah. Or I, I did this with two key points, and I have 20 key points remaining for the day. There, there was a lot of... Uh, Ha ha ha! I am so OP for any encounter you could throw at me. But you had those moments, like like when the pit fiend critted on Brian's character with his mace. I said, "I'm not worried." I kept saying, "I'm not worried." But but Mike explicitly was like, <gasps> "I always freak out that a crit though. That's just what I do, <laughs> whether I'm actually worried or not." <laughs> so the so back to your we we keep talking about CR in fifth edition, and I want to kind of stop talking about it because I want to dig into it and understand it before we start making fun of it, but. Basically, for that last fight against the Pit Fiend, I had chosen a CR20 monster to go up against my 20th level four-person party, and you guys wiped the floor with him. Wasn't... I mean, he took off a lot of your hit points, but then, Mike, you killed him. Yeah. Talk about that. So, my level 20 monk basically had an ability where he could one-shot any character at any given time with three key points, and again... I literally had a pool of like 20 plus key points. So you had the five point palm exploding heart technique. Yeah. Or if you're a believer, if, if you love uh blood sport, you had the dim mock. Yes. The dim mock. Yeah. I mean, it, it was an ability. You where... made him say mate. <laughs> <laughs> the death touch. Yeah. I mean, from, from the text in the game, if I remember correctly, basically you punch someone in the chest and then you like clench your hand and then their internal organs nope. vibrate until nope. they explode. That, that, no? was all, that was all you. That was all me? Oh. Yeah. Quivering palm. Quivering palm is just described as um, you, you put that vibration into them and at any point for the next three days, you can spend your action to kill that person. That's right. You added a lot of the fist clenching. You can wait right. to kill somebody with that? Yeah. yeah. That is amazing. Like, like yeah. you, you, could, you could walk up to somebody, like slap them on the shoulder, like, hey, buddy, how's it going? Wait three days and then stop their heart from a distance. Yeah. That is it's, amazing. It's a crazy skill. It is kind of, it, it's, 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 it's insane. And I was not expecting it. Like, the prep I had done as DM was to read these level 20 monsters over and over and over and over. And rereading it, 
I think I was playing the monsters intelligently. They were using their spells. They were using their parries. They were using their resistances. Like, yep. I had studied that cold. And then when it was your turn and you, and you, you had, your character had said to the pit fiend, okay, you can leave or you can die. You're, yep. you're going to die next turn. Yep. And I had him laugh it off because I didn't know what was coming. And then boom, you told me, okay, when it was back to around it being your turn again. Yep. You're like, okay, well now he's dead. And here's why. And I was like, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it was just, it was just an opposed role, right? It yeah. Was, it was, a, it was a, it was a, it was a cons- constitution saving throw. Yep. And even if I succeeded, even if the pit fiend succeeded, he still took 10d10 damage. Yeah. Like a ridiculous amount of damage. Yeah. That's so crazy. It, and I literally could have used that on every single creature in that game because we only fought like what, three, four individual characters. That would have been 12 key points, and I had you know, literally a pool of 20, or if not more. Man, making a challenging combat or so, and I thought about this in real life, right? So the closest analog we have to challenging combats would be sports, because I don't, I don't, I don't want to even talk about real combat. I mean, real soldiers and real combat, that's horrific stuff, that, and I don't even think D&D is really simulating that. What about combat sports? But, but sure, like, like, <laughs> yeah. like football or... UFC to to a lesser extent UFC or even grand melees that you would see at a at a rent fair, yes, sure. So I think sporting events is probably the best analogy. And even at sporting events, you rarely have a really good back and forth pitched battle. Great. You rarely have that. You usually have some. You rarely have a shellacking, and you rarely have a pitched battle. You usually just have a game that by halftime you can kind of figure out who's going. You, you know who's going to win by halfway through. So, I mean, that, that, that challenge that exists in every other aspect of, of anything adversarial exists in D&D. But, by God, Brian, as we discussed on our goals episode, I want to dig into a spreadsheet and see if I can crack the code of dialing it in a little bit better than, than I have so far. We need to collect data. We need to start collecting data to do that. I have some ideas for that. I love it. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that soon. All right. Uh, we already talked about recording this. Um, I have to say this. I'm just going to jump straight to the lesson learned for this one. If you're if you're GMing a game, whether you want to have a podcast or not, you should record at least some of your sessions and listen to them again. Because I always, listening to myself GM, my God, I learn a lot. I don't learn more from anything else. And in other words, I learn the most from listening to the session. Yeah. Even your feedback. No offense, you guys. Even your feedback is not as revealing and is not, it doesn't hit home as hard as listening back to the session. Absolutely. So if you're serious about something and you want to get better at it, record and listen. And and sometimes you're going to be even harder on yourself than the feedback. Sometimes like this game, I was really hard on myself with the feedback and I listened to the game and I was delighted with how much fun we'd have. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I didn't remember a whole lot about it. I started going back and trying to read some stuff, and it didn't really hit home until I listened to it. I know you said that after that 51-minute preamble that we basically had going on, you felt like the game was a disappointment. But after listening to it, we all had a great time. We were laughing the whole time. It was. Oh, yeah. I, I enjoyed listening to it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I I mean I genuinely did. Well, I mean, and the whole 144 demons thing, like I almost want to play that campaign. Thirteen ghosts of Scooby Doo. <laughs> Thirteen ghosts of Scooby Doo. Oh, I love that. Again, I I, <laughs> I 
if you if that sounds familiar, by the way, the 144 Demons Escape from Hell, I was borrowing heavily from a show that I loved that only had a couple of episodes called Brimstone. It came out in the late 90s. I love that show. I completely stole this from it. Anyway, um, yeah, Brian, to your point, re-listening to it and listening to how I introduced those concepts and the role play you had with the Pit Fiend when he appeared in human form. Yeah. I mean, we had a ton of fun. It was a blast. We've had games where we know we didn't necessarily have that much fun. Uh, this was awesome. And do we want to talk about how we sort of have been going back and forth on whether or not to release it? Sure. <laughs> So Brian found the recording and we've been listening to it. Brian, you initially wanted to release it. I did. And so I've been like, I've obviously do the podcast stuff. Uh, I've been doing it for a long time. And one thing that I have to keep in mind with what I do is, am I releasing something or am I doing something that goes against my brand or go, or does it conflict with the ethos of like what I produce? And I wasn't initially thinking about that. I'm like, oh, wow, this is so much fun. And it's so it's it's enjoyable to listen to. We should release it. But we've been going back and forth on this, and I think I agree that we, that we probably shouldn't, at least not as part of RPG Lessons Learned, because the the content isn't necessarily up to the same standards that we have for ourselves doing this show. And I wouldn't want to detract from the, what we try to um, to share. Teach is probably a strong word, but... Yeah, so, and, and you say we could lose credibility. Yes. For me, if I released it, 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 it'd be the exact opposite reasoning, Brian. So I have always said what I, what I hope differentiates this show from other RPG advice shows is that we're not putting ourselves forward as experts. In fact, we spend significant portions of every show talking about how we screwed up and how we're not perfect and how sometimes we're not even good. Like, forget <laughs> perfect. We're not even good. But we're trying, and that's what differentiates us. We, we're, we're trying. We're actively trying to learn from, from ourselves and our own mistakes, and we're sharing those learnings out. So if you want to watch a, sh- a show or listen to a show about how to be an amazing GM, go watch Critical Role. It's awesome. Matt Mercer's great. He's a much better GM than I am. Go listen to Chris Perkins, DM the guys at Penny Arcade. He is an amazing GM. He knows what he's about. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to make it dramatic. If you want to listen to a show about someone who's not Matt Mercer and not Chris Perkins, who's just trying to figure it out, listen to us, and we'll talk about what we learn as we go, and, and that's our differentiating factor. So releasing it, Brian, was attractive to me, because it would say, hey, look, listen to this. I'm not that great. Listen to this, and, and if you're disappointed in my ability to GM, then great, you're getting the point. But what puts me off of it is the crass humor. It's it's HR violation level stuff. Oh, yeah. Yes. It's five guys who know each other really well behind closed doors. Literally behind closed behind doors. Behind closed doors, making jokes that we wouldn't ordinarily make. I mean, and and it's nothing terrible, right? Like, like God, we're not being racist or anything. But certainly that there was a lot of genital-based humor. Like, aim for this, aim for that. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to punch him in the, yeah, there was a lot of stuff like that. And it's just so much of it. That the repetition of it's funny when it's 9 p.m. and you've worked the whole day and you're kind of punchy and silly, but releasing it as kind of a sober podcast Mm-mm. meant to be a serious look at yeah. how to play D&D, no. nah, we're not releasing it. So record your stuff. Whether you, whether you release it or not, record it. Listen to it for yourself. I love listening to it to learn from it, but it's, it's not worthy of airtime. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. Even though it was so much fun, and I really enjoyed my quoting a scripture. Yeah. It's really fun to listen to. <laughs> you got to murder your darlings. Just because it's fun to do doesn't mean it's fun to listen to if you if you weren't there. That's a good point. Yeah. Okay, so I, I want to I do one thing I wanna, before we go. Is the one when the big bad unveil or revealed himself? Um, he basically said, "Hey, I'm, I'm from hell. <laughs> Look at me. I run. I run a small part of hell." Uh, I'm going to give you guys the uh, chance to work for me. Yeah, he was going to make you an anti-paladin. Yes. And uh, you said that you wanted to hold off to get my response after everybody else had a chance to go. And I just you were the paladin. I was the paladin. My response was basically, I just want to know, is he wearing clothing made of two or more fabrics? <laughs> and I laughed out loud twice. You took Leviticus. Very, very seriously. To a whole different... Yeah, yeah. You, like... Yeah. like, like I think most of the quotes you use came from Leviticus. Probably. Almost almost certainly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think that's the show this week. So so briefly trying to go back over our notes, right? So starting in Medius Race is attractive and it's good and you should do it, but only if your players are as up to speed as their characters. The cinematic stuff was a great visual experiment for us and we enjoyed aspects of it, but what I would say there is don't get so married to your gimmicks that you can't let go of them when they stop making sense. Take a gimmick, pick it up and use it, and as soon as it stops being fun, drop it. Challenging combats, we're still trying to figure that out, so more to come there. And then finally, record your own sessions. I mean, singers record themselves and listen to themselves. Um, you people, at writers, read their own writing and it's, edit their own it's writing. It's deliberate practice. Deliberate practice. Exactly what it is. Record your own stuff. And you know what? I think if you record your own stuff... If you're like me and you criticize yourself a lot, when you listen to the actual recording and and with no pressure to perform, you hear the sound of your players laughing outside of the moment, you're going to feel really good about your game. RPG Lessons Learned. Thank you for listening. People call them postmortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them Lessons Learned, and we're sharing ours with you. 